episode 18 of the podcast um, and welcome to the podcast and a welcome to Cardiff to Dr. Rob Watson. Hello. Hello. You've just interrogated, no that's not fair, you've just recorded something for your podcast which I'll invite you to talk a little bit more about in a, in a, in a moment, um, Decentered Media. It talked about sort of community development, it talked about, it talked about experience and the motivations behind doing podcasts, it went off down all sorts of other avenues as well. But you're a sort of like a, an expert, a specialist in community media which I perhaps didn't realise I was doing so much of with these podcasts until I started listening a bit more to your output, not just the recorded sort of podcast, but some of the other work that you've, you've done in terms of writing and blogging, etc. I can try and deconstruct those terms. That's something I like to do with this podcast quite a bit because we can jargonise stuff all too often. Certainly in community development we can. I'm going to see maybe if there's a sweet spot between your background and expertise. What I'd like to think is my background. I'll leave it to others to decide if it's an expertise or not. Let's see if there's a sweet spot, as I say. So what is it that you do? And, you know, specifically the, the podcast, what, 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 what were your motivations behind doing that then? What do I do? Um, I suppose uh, I'm <laughs> independent at the moment. Uh, I used to work at a university in Leicester. I do media production, uh, community media, uh, radio production, that kind of thing. Um, for for 20 odd years um, finished a PhD last year in community media uh, which I'd drawn on some uh, case, stu- uh, uh, case studies participants observation within community media groups in Leicester um, and it was really kind of looking at the idea of um, how do you describe this I, I suppose I'm, I'm dissatisfied with you know the, the what we might call mainstream media. I, I suppose I'm not really a joiner in a organised fun or anything that's kind of organised. I'm not. Re- I'm not really interested. You know, you can go to a Weatherspoons on a Saturday night, and everybody else is having fun, and I'm on the outskirts observing. From the point of view of thinking about our media, is I'm more interested in kind of how it works and what motivates people to do things. But I, I think the kind of the deficit that we have in the UK is that we have media which is very uh, narrow and very um, uh, undemocratic and very monocultural and very embedded and elitist. You know, I don't want to go down the kind of use of the jargon of neoliberalism, all that kind of stuff, but it is self-determined, it's uh, self-reinforcing, it's kind of embedded in routines of so-called professionalism, and I don't think it's serving our uh, communities and our society in a particularly positive way, Mm. Uh, and it's not driven by, it's, it's, you know, commercialism, just just rampant commercialism wins out at the moment, nine times out of ten. Uh, cultural considerations are nodded to. Uh, the the kind of package of the, the you know the, the the big thing at the moment is you know the political debates uh, nationally are kind of reflected in our broadcast media. I don't I haven't had a television for years. But I watch things online, and recently I've kind of been watching the news. Uh, I pay for a license fee, so I can watch the BBC News. And the kind of punditry and the kind of news reporting is just woeful. It doesn't explain anything. You don't really learn anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not really engaged with it. You don't really find out much. Well, yeah, I listen. I watch Parliament debate, and I find out, and I, I feel better informed. 
uh, because there's a kind of a camaraderie there that's expressed between people who have different views and it's managed in a in, in it is what it is kind of thing but it doesn't get reflected in our mainstream broadcast media uh, so less and I suppose with the rise of things like social media and more inclined to look at alternative not very many alternative uh, platforms but um, what it boils down to is if I've got this dissatisfaction about the way that media works well what do I do about it mm. well you make your own yeah. and you get you know you get off your backside and you put something together and you have a go mm. uh, so in in 2008 2009 I, I kind of persuaded uh, the university was at to turn a student radio station into a community radio station and we wouldn't want a license for that but it's very very difficult to embed a culture of community engagement so what was uh, the predominant kind of approach was um, media literacies based around the imperative for young people who were paying a lot of money for their Degrees, and some might argue that this would be a natural thing to do, to get a job in an, in the industry mm. as the industry is, uh, and really what I kind of wanted to do was to, in some way, facilitate and bring about the new industry that would replace what we've got at the moment, because I don't think it's you know it's it, it's running to the end of its life, mm. and it's a legacy form of media, you know, television and radio, or legacy forms of media which won't go away, but. There's new forms of media, yeah. so I got into doing things like uh, blogging and podcasting and mm. using wikis and and those kind of things, which mm. kind of trying to and so using social media in a way which is perhaps introducing an element of <coughs> kind of creativity and independence. It's kind of about that kind of idea of kind of individual empowerment uh, and not just imitation, not just doing what has already been done, what has already been established, but kind of trying to create the ground, I suppose. Whether I've I've ever done this, <laughs> this is this is the idea that you ask the question. This is the idea that's in the head, but you kind of kind of create create the ground if you like, in which new ideas mm. and new approaches can be fostered and developed. Uh, whereas at the moment there's a kind of reflex to pigeonhole uh, radio, uh, video writing, newspapers, whatever you want to call it. As you know, as as these are these things when they could be and many other things. And I think something that I've come to appreciate by listening to your decent media podcast, to you know some of the sort of things that you've written about. You talk about you know creating the ground or carving out the ground. I forget the exact words you used, but there's quite a strong ethos of inclusivity within what you certainly what you you claim it needs to be or how it needs to be. And I guess some of the stuff you're talking about in terms of people coming on into the industry, there's clearly probably a class dimension to those people who can afford university within the market way in which AG has been marketised, um, the loans, etc. Then on into that accepting in, in industry, it's closed off. And I've regaled an anecdote on the on the podcast that we've recorded for you, which I'll, I'll obviously signpost. I won't go into depth now. It was about a, a Welsh Somali girl, Cardiff born and bred, who was telling me about how she wants to start a podcast. Isn't quite sure how to start or where to start because she doesn't see news that affects her life portrayed on the very channels that you're, you've been referring to. There's that inclusivity where perhaps it's a frustration about the mainstream media that it's a bit exclusive, whether that's based on class or race or ethnicity or gender or whatever it might be. So that the C word in community media, to my mind, feels a bit more of a genuine use of that term. And it, it gets at the fact that actually there's lots of different 
interest potentially at play, potentially wanting to articulate what's going on, whether that's news or culture or, or, or whatever it might be. There's so many levels to this that it's kind of like, you know, it, it's very difficult to articulate this, but I suppose a few examples. I think you're absolutely right. I remember uh, being at a, a, a seminar last year and again, there was a young woman from Saudi Arabia and it was the day that the news was announced that you, women could drive in Saudi Arabia, okay. finally. And she thought this was, you know, this was something that uh, should be talked about and discussed. So she went to BBC Leicester, Radio Leicester, and asked the receptionist, is it possible to talk to somebody about this? To which she got the, you know, the dead eye comes out, the, the expertly trained receptionist, which is their, their jobs, uh, the, you know, to, to deflect, no, they're all busy, come back another time. Where does power sit within our society and our media organisations? You know, you look at commercial radio stations and they're all behind, they're either in an an industrial estate in the middle of nowhere behind six layers of keypads and swabs Mm -hmm. to get in, Mm -hmm. or BBC local stations are very well protected, maybe for good reason, but they're very well protected. But ordinary people can't just walk in and get on the air and exchange their views. Mm. So they're left with social media and Facebook, which is a kind of, you know, it's like given, given you know, your childminder is British American tobacco. You know, that's, uh, you know, Facebook is the equivalent of giving your children, 20, you know, and your grandparents cigarettes mm. uh, because of the kind of addictive, exploitative nature of the way that they design, you know, algorithms that promote indignation on social media. So there's kind of got to be a ground in between these things, which is, isn't controlled by the state, isn't something which comes down from diktat by the senior managers, the Politburo, like the BBC's run, um, isn't something which is a kind of pretense of engagement, which is really just to sell advertising. And, you know, kind of, we've seen that with the consolidation recently of local radio stations who can now... Uh, in many places, pretend that they're broadcasting from a city uh, and they're nowhere near mm. that city. Um, and then the other side is the kind of social media side where it's kind of really uh, about an agenda of clickbaiting and you know echo chambers. So the centre ground, if you like, is a deliberative model of media, which is where people come together and look each other in the eye and sit around a table or at least pass each other in the, you know, a, meet, a, a meeting where they're raising money to support the life of the station or talking about what the kind of content should be. Um, so there's that kind of sense of engagement and that I think fosters deeper roots, a deeper sense of belonging, a deeper, it's all that kind of Robert Putnam stuff of, you know, kind of, you're not doing things in isolation. I can sit at home on Twitter and I often do, and I can just fire things out because I'm upset about something or indignant about something. But that doesn't mean to say that I'm accountable to anybody else. Mm. And the definition of community is, uh, for me, is that sense that you're not, you, you know, you are an individual, but you're, you are only enabled as an individual to do what you do because of the, the nature of the community that surrounds you, the nature of the society that surrounds you. And they're two sides of the same coin. Mm. The problem we've got, we, we kind of have a polarising debate about this which pushes people to the one extreme or the other. So either socially, you know, if you go to America, socialism is bad and individualism is great, mm. or vice versa. And, you know, kind of having that kind of lack of 
communitarian, centre ground, uh, values driven approaches. It's interesting to use the word power because I would argue that community development is, is very much should very much concern itself with, with how that power is not only distributed and configured, but also then uh, utilised and expressed. And there are you know, deep-seated inequalities that we've got in communities. But within that sort of ecosystem, if I may apply a word to how you've kind of defined it for you, it's important that information is exchanged, that people have the opportunity to uh, digest that information, utilise it in certain ways. And media is presumably quite sort of central to that. And I've always said, and you hear any number of community development workers working maybe on a stage or a village or whatever, talk about how important word of mouth is. What prompted that word of mouth? What's what's initially set that ripple up? And it's often aspects of news and media. But what else is it can, or potentially what else can it comprise that that M word then? So you've done the C word in community media, but the M word in media in that traditional sort of community development environment. I have a kind of theoretical problem with the the study of power it's often fetishized mm. by itself you know kind of we must look at power everything's about power and it's incredibly important but you've also got to look at so you might have different levels of power overt power uh, coercive power controlling power legal power there's a counter power and i think it's foucault who says you know kind of where there's power there's resistance mm-hmm. what does that consist of that tacit information and uh, I kind of look, you know, the kind of work of, I, can ne- I can't pronounce his name because apparently I'm not Portuguese or <laughs> Spanish, is he? Paulo, Paulo Freire? Freire, Portuguese. <clears throat> yeah, so I've been told by some Portuguese, Brazilian, Brazilian but I, I, because I don't speak Portuguese, Portuguese yeah. I can't pronounce it. So uh, he, but that idea of kind of, uh, you know, empowering people is to, what power is, is to tell you that you don't have a voice or you don't have an opinion or that you don't have options. Mm. And actually, once you um, are aware that you might have just one option or you might just have one opportunity to express an opinion or to use your voice for something, then the spell of power is broken, if you like. So those who have that power over us. And I think we live in a kind of media world. And, and my frustration is, is that almost that kind of it's like the emperor's new clothes. Why aren't people more actively and overtly pointing this out? Mm-hmm. Is that there is you know, the power of broadcast journalism, the power of the state-sponsored journalists, the power of the corporate media, you know, Markson-led media producers. It kind of isn't really a power if we just get on and do something else by ourselves. And the technology has shifted. The disruption of uh, uh, social media technologies and being able to do things like podcasts like this means that a wider range of voices Mm. can be heard. For good or ill, and it, it, it works both ways. So we see the, the rise of the alt-right, and we yeah. see the rise of you know the kind of communitarian left, mm-hmm. and both are part of the same deal in terms of you allow... I, I was drawn to the uh, kind of, there's a, again, paraphrasing C.G. Young saying, if you deny people, I've said this many times, one, again, one of the few quotes <laughs> I, I actually remember, is if you deny the opp- people the opportunity to tell their stories, evil will prosper. And I think we live in a world where we kind of are, we're denied the opportunity to tell our own individual stories or our neighbourhood stories or our community stories of identity or a sense of belonging or a sense of in the world that we work in, the world that we live in, the world that we engage with other people in. And so it's a state of powerlessness in the sense, the broader sense that um, we're kind of not being listened to and that the whole 
form of media regulation and industry and commerce isn't actually focused with the interests of people in mind. It's just there, but it's quite exploitative. So I think my analogy of British American tobacco, just wanting to give your kids cigarettes mm. and inculcate them into the culture of smoking, uh, is 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 a good parallel um, because I think a lot of our media is exploitative. It just and, and it's interesting our uh, our media regulator Ofcom, uh, its media literacies remit is very much about which websites and which uh, shopping websites you buy your trainers from how do you know a fake site from a real site how do you choose a mobile phone contract it's not about civic empowerment it's not about respecting people as creative uh, agents and individuals of their own uh, identity and their own sense of belonging in their own communities it's something which is we're seen as consumers and we're seen as kind of passive consumers. So it's the market will provide. But what we end up with in that kind of market will provide model is, uh, the analogy I always use is in 2008, uh, the Thornton's chocolate chain was, uh, uh, there was a thousand branches of Thornton's chocolates and they nearly went bust and they had to flood the market with cheap, I remember seeing them stacked up outside motorway service stations because they needed the cash. And you think, why Why do we have a thousand Thornton's chocolate branches or a thousand coffee shops, you know, Cafe Nero or Costa mm-hmm. Coffee? <clears throat> you know, why, why do we need a, a, a kind of a system of these things? Why can't communities organise these things? So if we'd have had a thousand independent, family-run, local cooperative-run chocolatiers, then maybe in the recession, six, you know, 300 would have gone under, but 600 would have survived and it could have regrown. You know, we saw in that recession that store after store after store went with all of their branches closing down because of centralization. So kind of decentralization of our media needs to be, and localism for our media uh, is kind of fairly important. Mm -hmm. I've been struck by, since becoming conscious of of, of your work and your output and, and, and your podcast, with something that Alan Twelvetrees, who people regularly listen to this, will appreciate the sort of the esteem I hold Alan in. Um, it was, you know, more than just a coincidence that he was the, the first person I had on the, the Community Development Podcast on episode one. And one of the things that he said, both in that podcast, but a little bit more um, off there, really, and some of the stuff he's written about as well, is he was lacking in the most recent version of his Community Workbook, which is quite a seminal text, a lot about media, use of the internet, digital kind of technologies within community development, practice, community work. And that what he has got in the most recent edition is, is largely from, from North America, from Canada, where it appears that some of that has been driven, that technological advancement has been driven by the sheer size of that country and the distances that you've got covered. So stuff that is broadcast across the internet clearly you know, brings people closer together. It's the phrase we use on a very practical basis as a means to an end in, in, in Canada. And I think there is a glaring gap huge gap within community development practice and learning in the UK about the role and the potential role and the use of different technologies of this nature and, and community media would fall in fall into that and it's quite a broad broad church and and I go back to the fourth edition of his book and there's a really you know there's such a limited this is not a criticism of Alan by any means I think it just reflects where we are you know a tiny tiny section related to media and 95% of that is 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 about press press releases trying to get stuff in the newspaper, trying to get a reporter to your community event, all of which, and I've been there, it's really hard to bring about, but we keep doing it. And it's almost like we're on a hamster wheel. We keep trying those things. So what you say about us doing this stuff, and it is 
in part um, motivated by availability and affordability of the equipment and, and, and so on. But I suppose even if the equipment is there and, and, and it's affordable, there still has to be some, some wherewithal, there still has to be some sort of germ of, of motivation to, to, to want to get involved in this thing and I'm, in this sort of work. And I'm not aware that there's still a huge driver in the part of the community development sort of sector workforce to do this. And I use the old adage that, you know, where there's been podcasts dedicated to community development practice, they tend to have followed the money, as so much of what we do does. They're funded to exist. And as soon as the funding for programmes and initiatives is pulled, then the media sort of withers away. And there might be other examples that you can think of as well. But I'm kind of struck that there's this huge gap for us to to plug. And I think what's interesting is then that not so much that we use the media just to tell people about what we do or why we do and we reduce the invisibility, which is something Alan, that, that, that Alan t- talks about, our, our practice. It's invisible and we need to develop the skills to make our processes more visible. But it might actually be something that motivates people to get involved, motivate people to question, motivate people to challenge some of the orthodoxies that, that exist within their communities, within society. And they might actually be have, have something that has a, uh, um, that helps organise as well. And I'm struck by uh, a guy, Terence, who's been doing this stuff since I was in short trousers in, in, in Riverside District in Cardiff. And he talks about community radio in the 1970s. And it's very much part and parcel of his recollection and the experience at the time around things to do with movements around rent control, about tenancies, about housing, very much geared towards things like feminist movements and ethnic diversity, anti-racism. And that radio was absolutely critical to some of that sort of stuff. It was how you communicated what was going on. And it seems to maybe we've, we've um, I don't know, maybe we lost a little bit of a, a trick in the power of these things. Well, I think it's, um, first of all, community development has been out of fashion uh, since the 1970s. It's been pushed out of government. Government departments don't know. It's not embedded as a qualification or a practice within policy making. It's not or hasn't been or has been lost part of the process of engaging with how we use the resources of civic society and public authorities and local governments in order to be able to maximise a kind of sense of um, of engagement or a sense of development. Um, that was to kind of taken out, you know, that was pushed out of the community development networks and community development practice were pu- pushed out of fashion and favour in the 1980s. And so it came, became a more market-driven, I mean, it became quite technocratic and process and systems-driven. Um, and so there's a, a kind of return back to interest in community development now because people are realizing that you can't just command and control redevelopment you can't just come in and build a a a highway there's a question of i was talking to a guy last year who's works for the the liverpool city region uh, office and the money that came in through europe uh, in terms of building roads and infrastructure you, you see this around europe in terms of airports that get built and highways that get built and then they don't get used uh, because the money seems to you know the fashionable thing to do is to build the infrastructure and not to develop the communities and I have an analogy which is uh, the town and the tram and I was on holiday in Montpellier a few years ago and they've got a fantastic tram system there if you ever get to go I like cities with trams and they've introduced this tram system it's taken a lot of the cars out of the to the city centre 
faster. It's much more pleasant to walk around. But the tram is, is as regular as clockwork. It starts at five o'clock in the morning, finishes at midnight, or something like that. And you, you, know, you guarantee you're going to get where you are. But when you sit on the tram, nobody looks at each other, nobody talks to each other. You've got your headphones on, you're reading your book, you're staring out of the window. It's not a social space. But where people are going to is the town centre often. And that's where the social space exists. That's where the bars and the cafes and the shops and the museums and the, the culture is. And what, too often what we do is we focus on the tram and not on the town. And we focus on the system of delivery and not what it is that people are going to get out of that uh, and how that changes and evolves. So we become very kind of oriented towards the process and not the values uh, that are driven by that. So we've got a kind of media model which is fundamentally based around you mentioned about local stories and issues of, of local concern to people and, and, and topics that you know kind of that might uh, agitate people rightly concern them but try getting that onto a local radio station without it being packaged up as a kind of you know to get it onto a BBC station you would have to have an antagonist and a protagonist and an independent referee that they could turn to. But you couldn't just talk about it. You couldn't just get to people together to say, what are you concerned about? Well, I'm concerned about parking, or I'm concerned about development of these apartment blocks that are shooting up everywhere with no real engagement with communities that decimate existing communities that kind of challenge the nature of what we mean by acceptable forms of housing, uh, amenities in an area, the kind of support. And there's no civic conversation about these things going on where do these discussions take place not in our media because they're packaged up and pre-packaged up for us yeah. as little kind of you know you, you, you quick hit to the press release uh, you know so you, you you have to learn and it's a kind of mass media model of the 20th century of a kind of transactionalism so you kind of look at it is that what you're doing is you're packaging a message or co- encoding a message and then somebody decoded it at the other mm-hmm. end and it's seen in those very narrow terms like marketing and advertising when actually it can be so much more it can be creative it can be deliberative debate conversational it can be pointless and meaningless it doesn't have to be the kind of formulaic patterns I, I was struck the other year that there's a DAB station launched in Glasgow which was the uh, News UK uh, promoting a lot of radio stations these days they're getting big into the the, the 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 radio market and it was an 80s hit station uh, what what on earth is the point of that you know the people of Glasgow I'm sure they really don't need to know you know what was number one in 1983 in February again and it, if they do they can probably look it up online or it might be fairly nice to drive along to but as the technology changes, you've probably got that on your phone anyway. You know, we have very limited cultural choices and a very limited cultural re- repertoire. So we've kind of gone backwards in many ways, I think. And I kind of, I, again, it's kind of like if your choices in life, I'll shut up in a second, your choices in life are between <laughs> Primark and John Lewis. I think we live in a very narrow, shallow society, which is reflected in the high levels of anxiety, the high levels of violence and dysfunction. A report was out yesterday about the amount of drugs that people take in the UK, way higher than mainstream Europe, because we don't have the kind of society where people are allowed to be social and to have social opportunities without the pressures of consumption or the, pr- the, the pressures of projecting yourself 
as a kind of uh, you know kind of you know the, the kind of Instagram influencers type. But this nonsense. is exactly the point that Becky made <coughs> on episode fifteen, I think it was, with Benthic, the Library of Things, where she had premature baby, she was struggling financially by her own admission, and the library was the place that she was getting stuff that you've talked about, a sense of nourishment, a sense of belonging, help, very practical help, somebody showing an interest, somebody caring. Family weren't particularly local, partner had to get in back to work, etc., etc. And the library was that place where she could get that. And it's a very, very crucial thing that she, she says in that podcast, and I would encourage anyone to listen to it because Becky's brilliant on it, is that there was no expectation that she had to pay anything to access that. And increasingly, we talk about the loss of, of public spaces, be it sort of park environments or be it just you know, the welfare halls and the stoops, etc. But actually, there's some that are still there, but there's fees levied to, to use them. And she's very, she doesn't emphasize it as much as perhaps it, it almost deserved to be. And it's, it's not a criticism because it's something we just take for granted. Actually, I don't think we're going to take libraries for granted in another sort of 10 years because I fear that they'll, they'll be an artifact. They'll be a relic, a social cultural relic of those things. Do you remember we used to go and get books and things? I'm struck by the cultural trust in Bridgen County Borough called Awen, which has taken over the running of Bridgen's libraries. And there's a whole debate around you know, whether that's the right thing. It's that asset transfer to charitable trust, etc. And some people are for it, some people are against it. But I think very progressively, they've done away with fines. Just don't bother with fines let's just get away it just creates a barrier and I think again it's something that just runs counter to this notion of well if it's going to exist it has to have a fee levied against it it has to have and begin to behave in some sort of marketized way or a way that conforms to market logic and I think it's just those little things that just go actually why does it why does it yeah. need to be that way and, and it's it's the notion of what is for the social good yeah now there, there is a problem about who decides and who gets to Absolutely. make you know the choice of what is good, socially good, and what isn't? But if we're more uh, open and deliberative about that, and you decide that at lower levels of civic engagement, if you like, and through more participative forms of community media, where people can start to talk about these things in a facilitated way and an accountable way, then what the what defines what the social good is comes through the deliberative process. Yes not being imposed on people because of a, an ideology, whether it's a, a statist ideology and a systems ideology. Yeah. You know, we provide X number of books and libraries, therefore the people will be educated. Well, if, <laughs> if you, that doesn't work like that, you've got to draw people, or, or the market ideology, which is, you know, which, which, which again kind of fails. The library one's really interesting because if, if, if so I had this conversation with a librarian uh, a meeting that was at recently and I kind of made the point that one of the things that we've lost with libraries is that they're a quiet place to sit and read yeah. and it's like it's shocking I was up in Liverpool at the weekend and I went to the Picton Library which is this amazing round like the British Library if you picture it it's this amazing space every turn of the page you can hear from 30 foot away. Where's that again, sorry? <clears throat> in Liverpool. Oh, if you ever get a chance to visit, it's, 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 they've made the library, they've really invested in this library space. And it's got all of the computers and the bays and the things on the one side. But the traditional library space of silence is still there. The National Library in Aberystwyth is, it was, anyway, I haven't been there for a while, but I was a student in Aberystwyth. Again, very similar. just incredibly ornate big de- it's, it's very delicate everything about it felt delicate and precious which you know may not be what people are looking for but what i'm seeing now though is coffee shops in leicester where i'm based is that there are lots of students sitting in there doing their work 
and they'll have one coffee which lasts them three hours or whatever it is and the staff are kind of trying to get some more paying customers yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's that kind of privatisation of a space which should be provided isn't that a social space a non-market social space where people can come and do work and if we're expecting people you know you know co- co- co-working mm-hmm. spaces if we're expecting people to engage in the knowledge economy then it means that you have to put the provision in for seclusion from the pressures of because you can't focus and concentrate yeah. uh, in the same way it takes me a lot to shake off the kind of the noise of the day and the the, the bombardment of media of the day so you can sit down and write and think yeah. and absorb and you know kind of even if it's just sketching notes or something like that that's quite a difficult practice but we live in a society and I think it's exemplified by a lot of our models of radio which are about projecting at you and bombarding you with messages it's kind of driven by uh, you know kind of top down we know better we're the professionals you don't know what you're talking about kind of thing but and also I'm coming this is less less an expert on it but also, also it almost feels like it's about generating a response we, we need to chuck a few stones in the pond just to create some ripples and then we can this, this yeah, will carry the, on the phone social lines media. will light up the phone and, lines will yeah. light up whereas that more deliberative process it is inherently it takes longer it is slower but actually I think when you talk about aspects of participative media participative democracy I think again is the same intuitively to my mind I think we just come to better conclusions and better decisions for having gone through those more deliberative processes and, 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 and stages and, and within that and again I'm not it's not linear it's not we just you know start here and we end up over at that point it's almost it takes a couple of steps back yeah. it's inherently reflective well, as well which is something the, we talk a lot the, about the interesting thing is when we think about uh, kind of civic journalism and the discussions about how we can promote different types of voices in journalism and news reporting and uh, what actually facilitates that. Now, my experience is for a large number of community radio stations, it's, it's just almost impossible to do news in its traditional format that the broadcasters regard, you know, regular bulletins, that kind of thing. They might be talking about things topically, mm. but they don't have a news cycle and a news process and all the things that kind of verify that. Uh, so they tend to steer away from doing that. But it raises the kind of questions about your current... So it's, it's news is gate... You know, there, there are gatekeepers for news for professional reasons and journalists. I don't like the word... I don't like calling people journalists. When did we start calling people journalists? There were reporters mm-hmm. 20 years ago, not journalists. Journalists for me are kind of those reporters who... All the president's men stuff, the mm-hmm. digging around you know, in the depths of the story, the hidden parts of the story, whereas reporters mm. tell you what's going on. And we've kind of got this model of, well, what's wrong with just settling for people telling you what's going on? But because we don't have, a, as you say, a kind of open process of this, then most people feel excluded that what counts as news is what their daily lives and what their experiences are doesn't count as newsworthy. Mm. But they'll express their indignation on Facebook in their network groups and they'll talk about things which matter to them because you know, whether it's immigration, positive or negative, whether it's public services, positive or negative experiences, yeah. people will talk about these things. But journalists now are, you know, because of the kind of, and the Cain Cross review reflected this in, to some extent, was the pressures of the, the economics of public journalism 
are such that it's very restrictive and very difficult to employ people to do independent journalism, beat reporting, mm. those kind of things. So what you end up doing is regurgitating press releases. There's a new hamburger chain. Yeah. What's, what's the newspaper in Cardiff, is it? Uh, um, South Wales Echo, which will be the Evening Daily, <coughs> and then you've also got Western Mail, then, which is a bit more... Sort of and you've probably seen a creeping rise of features about you know kind of chain restaurants and things and yeah you know, and it because so it becomes the, the the news element of it becomes ever narrower and narrower and the resources are taken away and the government put public subsidy into the the local democracy reporters scheme the local news partnership which is administered by the BBC but in my mind that money has gone to supporting a failing commercial model. Yeah and not priming and underpinning an emerging civic community model. Mm. And the point I'm trying to get to is that it rests around this idea of what we call news. News is a very packaged, artificial concept that what you define as news by the professionals define news as a very specific, narrow thing. But between you and I, the fact that my bus might be late is news for me. And if it's consistently late, and if it's consistently late for everybody else that I share my indignation on Twitter with, is that a news item? Mm-hmm. You're in a kind of change situation and we need to redefine things. We've run out of meaningful definitions for some of these things and we need to look at new ways to define them. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. We've already been speaking for a while with, with your podcast as well. And, and, and there's, a, there's an interesting Venn diagram between what was covered there and what was covered here. If people want to keep in touch with you, Rob, what's the best ways? On Twitter, Rob W Media or Decentered Media, and I, it's spelt the American way, so it's got the ex, the extra e in it. Okay, right. So kind of quite dyslexic. So I, I I took out the URL and then realised oh, because you check on Google and it yeah. comes up Decentered with the er, not to the re. So you've got to go what you've got. I I wanted at the CD podcast that would have been perfect, but it was already taken. Yeah. I did, about, I, did, like, I did get the other one though as well. So. Yeah, it's about, it's about a life, it's something to do with like life management as well and I still couldn't quite work out and um, I guess I joked on your podcast I, I don't quite have the resource to buy them out of that particular uh, Twitter handle just yet but uh, and I'd encourage people to, to get involved with what you do because I think there is a lot to learn from what we do which you know should never lose sight of the fact it's about people um, and it's about engaging with those people you know as, 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 as far away as possible on face-to-face terms and to speak to people whites of their eyes and, and all that kind of stuff but I think there's something very empowering about I talked about this a little bit more about on, on your podcast that we did earlier but there's something I think quite empowering about giving people the opportunity to articulate their own voice you know in their own accent and they don't have to be the polished orator they don't have to be you know the most educated person or the most you know verbose person whatever it might be well the, the other thing I say about the, the financial crash in 2008 it wasn't because there was a, a shortage of clever people Actually, there were lots of very, very many clever people who thought they were all very clever. And, and a couple of people like me sitting around the table saying, I don't understand, can you explain it in ordinary language, might have helped. No, absolutely, absolutely. But I think there's something about the authenticity that people in their own voice, as I say, you know, is, is, the, is the point I'm trying to make. Um, it's quite empowering. And I think it's also, I think it's also just in a very traditional way, but I think it's still an effective way of, of holding truth to, to power as well. Um, whether that is local community leaders, whether it's your local elected member, MPs, you know, elected politicians, people in the police or, or, or whatever. But the, the bottom line as well is, is kind of sitting around with a group of people that you are prepared to spend time with. Think of it like you're just sitting around having a cup of tea, like we're having a cup of tea now. 
if you want to do community media, sit around a table and have a conversation over a cup of tea. That is your starting point. If you can put a microphone in there and record it, then that's the next step. Absolutely. I like dolly mixtures as well, but uh, that's, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not, not essential. I think you're right. And I think what might be an interesting reflection of Alan's book and how little there is in that around the use of media and the role of media would be perhaps a reflection of how us as a sector have tended to be detached, maybe through our own efforts, through our own reticence from media sources, mainstream or otherwise. And so, you know, maybe there's something we need to do to sort of come together, but I don't think it's all of it, it you know, like anything, it's, I'm overly simplifying here, it's not about camps, that makes it sound much more oppositional than I intended to, but it's about maybe the media coming to understand a little bit about what we do, reducing that invisibility, mm-hmm. giving us the opportunity. Not a little bit, I think entirely. I think well, this, is, okay. this, this is the challenge. I think I, w- I would never teach media production again. I would teach community development mm. and add media to that. Yeah, let's leave it there. Perfect. Thank you.